Well, I am greatly looking forward to tomorrow with Brother Sistrunk. But if for some reason we don't get there, man, I got enough today to chew on for six months or a year. Thank you, thank you, Brother Sistrunk. And did we not hear from God last night from our district superintendent? <laughs> Praise God. Amen. Well, it's good to be in camp meeting once again. It's my 31st consecutive camp meeting. Amen. Now, that's nothing compared to 101, Brother Cox. <laughs> but, oh, have, have we had some glorious times. Amen. When our auditorium was where the dorm is now, <clears throat> I yeah. I remember Brother Bill Harden coming in, our speaker, in a heavy winter coat and a hat with the ear flaps pulled down. <laughs> Amen. We've had camps when we've had heaters in here. But oh my, my, it has been so awesome. Amen. Um, <clears throat> I believe we are living in very, very perilous times. Uh, I believe that if the church ever shined forth, it needs to shine forth today. Amen. Things that are taking place are just, just mind-boggling. And uh, I believe the Lord is coming soon. Amen. I, I really believe that. And uh, we need to use... Uh, the time that we have very wisely. I, I, I noticed when Jesus fed the 5,000, uh, as everybody was full and maybe they were starting to leave, he said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. He said, uh, there's some crumbs here. There's some fragments here. Let, let's pick them up. And it says, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost, or nothing be wasted. Man, what would we think if we walked in our favorite restaurant and saw the waitresses down on their hands and knees picking up? Say, oh, this is snack for a little bit later. The Lord doesn't like waste. And if he's that concerned about bread and fish, how much more is he concerned about time? Brother Cox, when I was just a young boy, we had a record player. And it played 33 and a third RPM records. Now some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. But it was a big disc of plastic, and this arm came out, came down and started playing, you heard. But there was a former governor of Louisiana by the name of Jimmy Davis. He was known as a singing governor of Louisiana. And he sang a song on that record, 
And the words go, as you wander along on life's pathway, have you lived a life without love, a life of fear? Have you searched for life's great hidden meaning? Or is your life filled with long, wasted years? Search for wisdom. Seek understanding. There is someone who knows and always hears. Give it up. Give it up. The load you're bearing, you can't go on in a life of wasted years. Wasted years, wasted years, oh how foolish. As you walk on in darkness and fear. And this is it. Turn around. Turn around. God is calling. He's calling you from a life of wasted years. I'd like to turn your attention to Numbers chapter 14 this morning. I'd like to read verses 1 through 3. And all the congregation lifted up their voice, cried, and the people wept that night. And all, I don't think that's just a fill-in. I think it means just what it says. All the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness? Verses 32 and 34. But as for you, your carcasses, they shall fall in this wilderness, and your children shall wander in the wilderness 40 years and bear your whoredoms until your carcasses be wasted in the wilderness. After the number of the days in which ye searched the land, even forty days, each day for a year, shall ye bear your iniquities, even forty years, and ye shall know my breach of promise. I'd like to speak to you just for a few minutes here. Preacher says that, it gives you hope. wasted years. Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you, Lord, for the privilege to be here. We ask you, God, to speak to our hearts this day from your word, O God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Time is precious and we cannot waste it, O God. Oh, Jesus, 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 speak to us now, I pray. Amen, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. If you have any knowledge of God's word, you know the scene that took place before our scripture text. Ten of of twelve spies returned from their 40-day excursion into the promised land. Admittedly, they indeed 
admitted it was a land flowing with milk and honey. But along with all the good things, they saw great walled cities. People of great giant-like stature. And we read that 32nd verse. They brought up Brother Huckabee mentioned this in his message the other night to the youth. They brought up not a negative, not a bad. The Bible said they brought up an evil report of a land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. So this, if we could, this we would call the straw that broke the camel's back. For 40 years, Israel is now destined to wander in the desert waste. It was an interlude. It was an interruption of total impotence brought upon themselves by their unbelief, their disobedience, and their rank rebellion against God. Hear me when I say it's a very exceedingly dangerous thing to demand things from the Lord. Puny men sometimes treat the Almighty with grave contempt. They complain, they find fault with his guidance, with his protection, with his provision, and behave as if they themselves knew far better how to guide and direct their lives than the Almighty God. I don't want to be negative here today, friends. I don't want to sound uh, negative, but we've got to face reality that we are living in the last days. And there are things that are creeping into our midst that we need to stand up and say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Amen. We need to look at this. And this feeling, I can do it. We can do it. Friend, we can't do anything. We can't accomplish anything without the touch, uh, without the presence of God. Oh, hallelujah. Help us, Jesus. Do you know what the very astonishing and startling truth is? That many times God will give you just exactly what you're grumbling and complaining about. He'll fulfill your wishes to the very word. Hallelujah. Notice what Numbers 14, 27, and 28 say. How long shall I bear with this evil congregation? There it is again. Amen. You know, evil congregation. These were God's people. These were children of Abraham. And now God says, how long shall I bear with this evil congregation? Murmur against me. I've heard their murmurings of the children of Israel, which they murmur against me. 
Say unto them, as truly as I live, saith the Lord, as ye have spoken in my ears, so will I do to you. And so this is why it's so vital, it's so important that we understand clearly and very concisely the consequences of what you and I may be complaining about. Friend, God may give you just what you're asking for. And in this case, Israel, every one of them except for Joshua and Caleb, they insisted the only reason God had brought them out into this wilderness, the only reason he brought them out, amen, was to destroy and kill them. Friend, listen, deliverance from Egypt is awesome and it's great. Amen. But God did not bring them out of Egypt to let them wander in a wilderness. He brought them out of Egypt that he might bring them into a promised land someday. He brought you out of sin. He brought you out of bondage. Not so you can just wander in this life, but so one day you can walk streets of gold. I go to prepare a place for you. It's not just a figment of our imagination. One day, if we remain faithful, we will walk streets of gold. And if that doesn't excite you, if that doesn't light a fire in you, your wood is wet. Woo! Hallelujah! This contemptible accusation that they hurled in the face of God. You're a liar, God. You didn't bring us out here to bring us into a promised land. We haven't seen it. You brought us out here to destroy us and to kill us and to kill our children. This wasn't the only time. They had hurled this into the face of God time and time again. Amen. Bottom line, they simply did not trust God. The only thing they trusted was their own deplorable, wrong view of advance. Friend, you need to look at the events that you're going through. You, may, you need to look at the pit and the valley you may be in, not through human eyes. You need to look through it through the eyes of faith. You need to realize God is trying to shape. God is trying to form something in you. Amen. And it can't always be a bed of roses. Amen. You've got to go through a wilderness to get to a promised land. So don't look at the events you're in right now through natural carnal eyes. Uh, amen. Elijah looked through spiritual eyes. Hallelujah. Hadn't rained in three and a half years. Uh, but Ahab, it's going to rain today. Praise God. Uh, amen. And everything said no rain. Uh, everything said sunshine, dust, uh, dying crops. Uh, amen. But he saw through the eyes of faith. Uh, and that's why when the servant saw a cloud only the size of a man's hand, he got excited. Hallelujah. Amen. 
Pray, get excited about the two or three. Amen. But that's only the beginning. I said, that's only the beginning. Hey, guys, it's only the beginning. God. Woo! Amen. Bless you. Brother Farmer, man, this is awesome. Praise God. How many of you were here from Norvik and Kiana last year for camp? Under 10. Today, today, this year we have 20. <laughs> Doubled in a year. Praise God. But these people, these people, after seeing water turn to blood, after seeing all those plagues, and that final plague, that dad was getting that hyssop branch. You know, paintbrush is a pretty nice thing. You can dip it in the paint. And you know, fix it so that when you go up like this, paint's not running all down your arm and everything. Did you ever try to paint with a hyssop branch? Man, as he was getting that blood and putting it up there, I'm sure it was running down his hand, his wrist, dripping off his elbows, and he's thinking, what am I doing? And let me tell you something about midnight hour. When Egyptians start crying and bellowing because their firstborn is dead, amen, dad is not too much concerned about some messy blood that got all over his hands. Hallelujah. But they had experienced all of that. They had experienced the Red Sea when God just parted the waters. Amen. When God provides them food from heaven, when God doesn't let their feet grow and God doesn't let their clothes wear out, they had experienced that. It wasn't just a story. They had experienced it. And yet they'll say, God, you're a liar. You brought us out here to kill us. And so for the next 40 years, not one step of progress. Not one step of progress. Not one conquest. Because they just wander. Wander. Wretched wasteland. And I find it amazing that it, even though some 3,500 years have come and gone, there's still people today, supposedly born again children of God, that spend so much of their time in a wilderness of wasted lives. Oh God. Not a dry desert wasteland physically, but nevertheless, a spiritual wilderness of wasted lives. So I think it becomes very, very vital, important, extremely that we know the reasons and causes that trap so many people in this tragic, tragic state. 
And many times people aren't even aware uh, of their basic unbelief, disobedience, and rebellion against God, much less understanding it as they claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, disciples of the Lord. But they're not going anywhere. Brother Rochelle, they're just spiritually going in circles. Speaking from experience. Speaking from experience. I really come with genuine compassion and concern. Some 48 years of ministry now dealing with people. And I really hurt for folks who may be wasting precious, precious time. Not talking about seconds and minutes and hours and days, amen, but talk about years. Like Paul, you know, I'd, I'd like to feed you on meat, but I still have to plop the old bottle in there. So what about all that time? How do you look at that? Flippantly, shrug your shoulders. Friend, God doesn't look at it that way. Amen. God has given us this commodity we call time. God's not controlled by this thing on my wrist. He's a God of eternity. Hallelujah. But he has given us this window of time. And how are you? I believe we're going to give an account of our time. Now we all have to rest and no long, no, no, nothing wrong with playing around the golf, uh, you know, going to the fishing bank, hunting. Uh, no, no. But when, when, when we take time that we have, and as Brother Sistrunk said, you know, you got to give time to your, your family and, and, and those things. And, but then when we just, you know, blatantly waste time, I was just an eight-year-old kid when I received the Holy Ghost in an old-fashioned tent crusade outside of Eau Claire, Wisconsin, Brother Blackshear. That night I was baptized in Jesus' name in a horse's trough. What an experience. Oh, what an experience. Amen. That first initial experience. <laughs> oh, you'll have other experiences down the way. And Jesus grows more precious and more dear. But oh, I'm glad I can look back, hallelujah, to that first experience. I'll never forget it as long as I live. It's sad to say, I spent 10 to 12 years of my young life very much living for myself, living for my agenda, wandering in a wilderness of divided loyalties, wandering in a wilderness of divided affections, divided interests, not willing fully to submit my heart and my will to the Lord of my life. Amen. Not letting him be king of kings of this will of mine. Amen. We're not trying to break spirits today. Talk to a man that raised the Arabian horses 
And he said, Brother Churchill, you don't want to break the animal's spirit. If you break his spirit, he's worthless. But I do have to break his will. I do have to bring that animal to the place where he knows I am master. The Lord is not here trying to break your spirit today. But he is wanting to bring your will into his subjection. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. And so the result was to wander in circles, so to speak, claiming to be a follower of the Lord while in all reality living largely for my own interest. So I tell you, it's not something that is very pretty. It's a painful Pathetic, pathetic path for anybody to walk. And let me tell you where it ends up. It ends up in spiritual listlessness and cynicism. And nothing worthwhile is gained for either God or man. And so it is all wasted. I said it's all wasted. And so I find three, I think I find three basic causes uh, that lead to this condition. And so many times there. They're, they're like a closely braided three-stranded cord which binds so tightly, unbreakably. But oh, let us separate them. And I think the first one is simply unbelief. Amen. Unbelief. In our highly sophisticated society today, with its so-called civilized culture, higher education, we're taught... We are taught, our kids are taught on a daily basis in our society to try, to test, to challenge every concept. We're urged to prove the reality of ideas and, and theories and hypotheses. Amen. Our scholarly monitor or mentors tell us that well, we're encouraged to submit everything to the observable test of our five fickle fallible physical senses in what is called the scientific process. Now that is being taught everywhere in our society. And amid all of our proud and arrogant perceptions with the human process, uh, we totally omit uh, we totally overlook, we casually overlook the entire realm of the spirit. We become totally immersed in natural phenomena. We act and behave as though there was no supernatural forces at work in the universe. We put all of our focus on fallible human perspectives. We turn our backs on God. We turn our backs on his word. We turn our backs on the move of the spirit and think we can get it done the way we want to. What is the result of thinking that way? I'm glad you asked. We become people then who are actually dominated and directed not by God in whom we claim to believe, but by our humanism based on finding out the facts, 
data processing, 21st century technology taking the form of computer printouts. And the consequence of such conduct is that we live our lives not on the bedrock of faith, not on the bedrock of God's holy word, but we find ourselves living our lives on the science, on the shifting, uh, wasteful sands of scientific fact-finding. Hallelujah. And that's exactly what happened to the spies here. When they went to spy out the land, instead of trusting the Lord and acting on his advice, why, why couldn't one of them have stood up and said, well, God, we don't have to go see it. God, we don't have to go and get some of those grapes and bring them back here. Oh, God, we have seen what you've done for us in our past. Amen. Hey, let's just go in and take it. Why can't we walk by faith? Hallelujah. Why can't we believe that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever? And if you brought us through a Red Sea, if you supplied us with food, if you turned bitter water into sweet water, hey, we believe you what you're saying about this promised land. Let's go get it. Instead, they decide to deliberately discover all the facts for themselves. And it ended up in utter folly. But beyond that, it was just blatant unbelief in God's commitment to them. In essence, Brother Walter, they were saying, you know what? I don't think God's committed to us. You What? After seeing all of that, and you, you would dare say, God's not committed to you? But I believe there are people, maybe even people sitting here today, amen, oh yeah, I believe the Lord, yeah, 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 but I don't think he's totally committed to me. Let me tell you today, friends, uh, amen. Brother Sistrunk, as you said, upon this rock I will build my church, uh, amen, amen. Amen. And I know beyond shadow of a doubt, Pastor Bradbury, he's committed to his church. He said the gates of hell wouldn't prevail against it. Amen. He said his church would be his bride in heaven someday. And if that's not commitment, friend. If that's not commitment, God didn't make little green apples. And it don't rain in Indianapolis in the summertime. There's no such thing as Dr. Seuss or Mother Goose and Dr. Seuss or whatever is just a nursery rhyme. <laughs> Amen. To put it to words of a song, I'm telling you, friends, God's committed to you today. He's not just committed, amen, corporately to a, you know, a group. He's committed to you individually. And until you get that in your heart, uh, until you get it in your soul and mind, you're going to wander and wander and wander in wastelands. But God's committed to me. He's not just committed to Detroit, Michigan. He's not just committed to Anchorage, Alaska. God is committed to Kenai, Alaska. Woo! 
Pastor Glover, God's committed to Sterling. God's committed to the Kenai Peninsula. Hallelujah. His brother Jeff Arnold said, sit down, sit down. You're taking my time. Brother Bob Bagwell, that gray-haired lady you're sitting in back of, come this August 12th, we will have been committed to each other for 48 years. Amen. Now, bro, we've had some rough times. I've, I've even gotten mad at her a time or two. We've even had some cross words. Yeah. I've had my blood pressure go up, Brother Cox. But I want you to know 48 years ago, August 12th, in Troy, Missouri. I walked in from a side door, Brother Sistrunk, to about right here. Amen. And all of a sudden, you know, bridesmaids started coming in. And, oh, they looked nice. But man, I wasn't looking for bridesmaids. <laughs> Sister Lucinda Hall, if you're here, it, it wasn't Skip to Malou that she came down the aisle to. But when that organist hit those chords, bum, bum, ba bum, I'm telling you something, it started going down my back. Hallelujah. And suddenly, I mean, I wasn't looking at my father in law, I was looking to the person on his arm. And the closer she got, hallelujah, I said, the closer she got. And when the preacher said, who gives this woman to be married to this man? And her daddy said, her mother and I do. Amen. And I went over, Brother Bradbury, and took her arm and her hand in mine. I was making a commitment. I said, I was making a commitment. I was saying to her, hey, whatever happens, amen, I'm committed to you. And if we physically commit to our spouses, how much the Lord Jesus Christ more is committed to his church. Brother Tad, that's worth a lap. Amen, that's worth a lap. Woo! Oh, hallelujah. Just one. Praise God. Maybe seated. Praise God. Mm. And so you see, following facts, that leads you down a very dangerous, slippery trail. That can only end up in one place. Failure. And those four steps, four vital steps down to disaster are facts, 
And then facts produce many times fear. And then fear produces fantasy of foreboding. And then it's failure. Invariably, Pastor Gaden, facts alarm people. Yeah. Things always look so tough and difficult in the face of just facts. And then this view gives rise to fear, doubt, misgivings, and then fantasies take over. And we're so certain we cannot succeed in what God has told us to do. And so there is just failure and flat refusal. When we look at the story of these spies, it's exactly what we see. They had seen over and over what God had done for them in the wilderness in impossible situations. Now, instead of relying on God, as I said, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, God was continually assuring them that he was going to bring them into a land flowing with milk and honey, a promised place of rest. But they choose to go on a fact-finding mission. Now, there were some positive facts, and there were some negative facts. Positive facts, yes, Lord. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. I mean, it's a good land. It's well-watered. There are provisions, crops. Amen. The Lord said, I'm going to give you cities you didn't build. <laughs> Amen. <clears throat> You're going to reap harvest you didn't plant. All of it. But they chose. I said they chose to major on the minors. They chose the fact that there were great walled cities, people of giant stature. Those facts gave birth to formidable, formidable fears, and they became preoccupied not with a beautiful land, promised land. They became preoccupied with giants. They became preoccupied with great walled cities that they could never conquer, they became preoccupied with maybe a little rough, tough terrain that they couldn't take. Now the focus is no longer on the good things of the Lord. Fear takes over, and that's all they can focus on. And these fears lead to terrifying fantasies. They came back and said, hey, you know what? When those guys look at us, they don't see, you know, a six-foot-two or a five-foot-ten. Amen, man. They see grasshoppers. Where, where's grasshoppers in their sight? And so there was nothing but disaster ahead. And that killed every act of faith. Okay, now that's what the, that's what the Israelites were thinking of the inhabitants of Canaan. What were they thinking? Were, were they standing in the walls and looking over and saying, oh, look at all those grasshoppers down there. Let's, let's just go ahead 40 years, okay? 
And Joshua sends two spies into Jericho. And they take refuge with a woman by the name of Rahab. Would you allow me, thank you, would you allow me to, to just tell you what Rahab said? <laughs> In essence, she first looks at him and says, where have you guys been for 40 years? We've been waiting 40 years on you guys. Where have you been? Then she says, I know that the Lord hath given you the land and that your terror has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. <laughs> we have heard, we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt, neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Hey, sometimes you just need to sneak into the enemy camp and we think, you know, oh man, they're, you know, they're, they're doing all this stuff and they've got it all planned out. Amen. No, no, no. Amen. There is one devil. There is one God. And our God does not tremble in the presence of the devil. But I'm telling you, the devil and all the imps of hell, they tremble in the presence of my God. And if you've got the Holy Ghost in your heart and soul, friend, when you walk into a room, woo, there's no need to back down. There's no need to be intimidated. For greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Praise God. So they flat refused to go in and take the land. Mission was a total failure. They stood paralyzed and powerless. Not one more step progress could be taken because of their self-delusion and unbelief in the goodness of God. Friend, I'm telling you, put that word self in front of, in front of something. You're asking for trouble. What, what did the Apostle Paul say about this uh, old tabernacle? He said, I know that in this flesh, oh, now, there are some good things in there. I give, you know, I give to charities. I, I, I drive through McDonald's, and, you know, if I give a $10 bill and 
and uh, it's uh, $8 and something. Almost every time, and I'm not trying to toot my own horn here, but almost every time I say, hey, give that to Ronald McDonald. <laughs> Amen. I don't know. Maybe one of my kids or one of my grandkids might need Ronald McDonald's house someday. Amen. You know, help a lady cross the street with the, you know, whatever. And we get thinking, oh, there's some good. That's not what Paul said. He said, I know that in this flesh dwelleth no good thing. Teaching, to, teaching our church enemies of the soul and First thing I taught about was the flesh. Uh, honey, I got it back. The second thing is finding fault with his arrangement of our affairs. And this attitude of discontent with divine providence is referred to in God's word by various names. Can I give you a few? Thank you. Rebellion, murmuring, fault-finding, stiff-necked, discontentment, and just plain bad attitudes. And as those terms are used to try to define the grievous grumbling of God's people. They represent the Lord's devastating revelation of what some people indulge in on a regular basis. And all of it can come down to one, one word, hyphenated word, and something that I just said a little while ago, amen, self, self-pity. So why do we have to put up with people who fall into the category of rank rebellion. Why do people murmur and complain against God's care and then instead of being grateful and thankful and appreciative as arrangements for their lives, uh, they, they seemingly thumb their nose at God and said, I'll go my own way. I guarantee you, friend, if we could bring uh, old Mr. Blue Eyes, if we could bring Frank Sinatra and you know, I really wouldn't consent, Brother Parrish, to having him sing at camp meeting. But if, if we could say, hey, Frank, come on up here and sing one of those songs uh, that made you so famous, uh, I did it my way. I guarantee you, Frank Sinatra would not step up here today and say, I did it my way. I guarantee he'd be singing, I wish I had done it God's way. Your way's going to get you in trouble, friend. Your way will end you up into a lake that burns with fire and brimstone. You better get doing it God's way. Israel's horrible stance from the very first day they left Egypt until the termination in, in, in the wilderness. They were simply never, never satisfied as a people. They were never satisfied. Some people are very hypocritical when they sing that song. I'm satisfied. 
Really? The way you're living says something else. But friend, I'm satisfied. I've been in valleys. I've been in deep, dark trials. And I'll be the first to admit when I've been there many times, I've turned my face to heaven and said, why, God? You know, when, when you've done something and then you're reaping the consequences of that, <laughs> you know, yeah, I'm reaping what I sowed. But oh, when we've been living for God, And we end up in a pit thrown there by our brothers who did not understand. And then they pick us up out of that pit and they put us in another pit. Joseph was put in another pit, a pit of years that was going to shape and mold his life. And when he looked at that butler that was going back to his job. He said, sir, when the occasion, would you please do me a favor? Joseph, I'd do anything for you, man. You interpreted my dream. Would you remember me to somebody up there because I'm in this rotten old jail for something I didn't do? that door to the prison clicked behind the butler Joseph was totally forgotten but it wasn't God's time for Joseph to come up sometimes we think hey here's the opportunity to get out of the pit to get you know get out of the trial test and tribulation God says no 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 not, not quite not quite ready and I think those two years had to seem like 20. Those two years, the dream had to be so hazy. But in God's time. Hey, are you a child of God? Put your hand up if you're a child of God. Born again of water and spirit. You're, you're his child. When this, for, I mean, uh, when this young lady, known as my daughter Kim, was a little girl, just about everything that happened in her life came through me or her mom. Amen. She chose the clothes she was going to wear. We chose, Brother Colville, what she was going to eat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We chose where she could go and where she couldn't go. Because we were... I was daddy and she was mama. Well, listen, we never, we, we better never get feeling like we're adults with God. We better remain as children. Now, I'm not saying, you know, hey, we need to, to grow up and we need to mature, but we need to keep a childlike attitude and realize that everything that comes through me first of all, had to come through my heavenly Father. And so if I'm in this pit, if I'm in where I am, it's because, hey, Satan, have you considered my, my servant Churchill? Have you considered my, my servant 
Eliska, out there in Bethel. And so the test comes and the trial comes. But I'm still going to praise God. Praise God. Amen. I got 20 more pages of notes. <laughs> Amen. But you see, disobedience will lead you to rebellion. Amen. And there can't be any rebels in this thing. Amen. We all have to fall in line wherever God places us. Praise God. They're rebuilding the walls in Nehemiah. They all weren't working in one spot. He had them distributed around there. And you, you get reading about the people that were working on the walls. They weren't all masonry contractors. Amen. There were educated people. Amen. But they all had their spot. We all have our spot. And you can't be there and say, well, I don't like it here. No, we can't have any rebellion. Did you ever read of the first act of rebellion in the Bible? Yeah. Before he ever said, let there be. One of the prophets said, I saw Satan like lightning. God's not going to put up with rebellion. Amen. <laughs> it's his way or the highway. But... So we have, have disobedience, rebellion. And so much has been written and preached about disobedience. I, I certainly can't add anything new. But still, I think it's, it's vital to point out that it was because of rotten, rank disobedience to God's instructions that none of those Israelis that came out of Egyptian bondage ever entered the promised land. Not only did they grieve God, but they, they deprived themselves of exciting conquest. Wow. They never took New territory. They never, never tasted the thrill of triumphing over impossible obstacles. And in closing, they said, not only, God, did you bring us out here to destroy it, but you brought us out here to destroy our children. God said, okay, I'm going to let your carcasses rot, but I'm going to take your children. And your children are not going to say, well, that's, that's pretty dumb. Walk around a city. Come back to camp. Do that for six days and not make a sound. That's ridiculous. And then the seventh day to march around it seven times. 
And at a given signal, everybody shout! That old generation, that, that was their mindset. Their mindset was, man, we got to get battering rams, we got to build big towers, and we got to get the archers. And, but the new mindset said, we'll do it God's way. And so we'll march. And when they shouted, yeah, you know, people say the walls came tumbling down. No, they didn't. If those walls came tumbling down, there would have still been a great, great obstacle to get over them. The Bible says they came down flat. You can believe what you want and be wrong, but I believe the earth just opened up and the walls went down flat. Because it said every man walked in. They didn't have to go over to, you know, where somebody cleared something out. Every man walked in. I wonder how many of those kids thought, I wish, wish Dad could have been here to see this. Oh, I wish my uncle, he was such a, I looked up to him so much. And I'm, you know, I'm sorry they're not here. But that's not going to dampen my spirit. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm going to go in and take the land. Hallelujah. Amen. They didn't waste time, friends. They didn't waste time. They didn't waste years, days. They went in and took the land. Hallelujah. And God is looking for somebody today. Amen. Maybe you've had wasted years in the past. Uh, maybe you've had wasted time that you didn't use for God. But I'm telling you today, today you don't have to wait till a particular time, uh, but you can step out of that wasteland today. You can step out of wasted years today. Amen. Just say, God, I give it all to you, Lord. I'm tired, Lord, of doing it my way. Uh, amen. I'm going to do it your way. I'm going to obey you, Lord. I'm not going to rebel against you, God. I'm going to do it your way. Can we love the Lord? Come on. Hallelujah. Come on, let's love him. Praise God. If you want to come to this altar and pray a little bit, you can. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm not going to do it my way. I'm doing it God's way. I'm done wasting years. Hallelujah.